have it. Come on. If, if you're waiting, it's kind of like getting out and be like, hmm, is it raining? No, you just say, get out in the rain. Come on. You can choose your emotions. You get to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. Come on. And so when we've been talking about hope for the last few weeks, hope is like controlling that thermostat. You get to have a hope in Jesus. Come on. Just because we're done worship doesn't mean we need to get quiet. Doesn't mean we need to let, let our excitement die down. You should be just as excited about the word as we are about worship. You know, some people like music. Some people like listening to the word. Come on, we should be excited about both because it's all an expression of our worship. But we've been have, talking about hope for the last three weeks. And it's been a part of our series on the believer's authority. And it's such an unusual way for us to take this. I was telling everybody last week that in, in the last 15 years, I've never preached on the believer's authority through the angle of hope. But it's true. If you cannot learn to see beyond what you see with your natural eyes, you won't be able to stand in your authority because you'll be looking to see, okay, is it true now? No, God says stand in it now and then you'll walk in it then. Come on, if you cannot see it now, you're not going to see it then. You need to learn to see it before you see it. And we were talking about how about when God created this earth, this whole world, he didn't look at what was present to determine what was possible. It just said God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't go like, hmm, what do we got to work with? No, he said, here's what you get to work with. And he fed out of himself into this existence. You know, Hebrews 11.3 said, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. Yeah. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So he wasn't looking around and going, okay, okay, what's going on? Oh, I don't, I don't have opportunity here. No, it looks like another closed door there. Come on, that's not how you look. You look with spiritual eyes. And the word hope is the word elpis which means a confident expectation of good things to come. We've been telling you that it's not, it's not world hope. When the world talks about hope, they see it as like a fantasy, a wish that they would love to obtain, but they know that they never will. We're not talking about worldly hope. We're talking about godly hope, that you have a hope in Jesus, that you can look and say, no, I have good things coming my way. There are opportunities coming my way. Come on. This is not just some airy-fairy theory. This is something you get to play out in your life. You know, this is something that I've had to learn and work hard on throughout my life. And when I was young and dumb, as we've all been, I, was, I, I didn't know what I was going to be doing before God called me into the ministry. And I, I told you guys the story a while back that I was, you know, lying depressed on Mimi's couch. And uh, she came up to me and she said, uh, you need to get up and do something. I don't care what it is, but you need to do something. And so I was like, okay, maybe I should get a job. And so I went and got a job. And it was like, it was just a job. It was, it was nothing special about it. But uh, it was probably about six months into having that job, they just started announcing that they were going to be downsizing. And as the last person hired, what do you know? You know you're usually the first one that's out the door. And people that were hired all around the same time as me were all saying that, well, I guess we better start polishing up our resumes and start looking for a new job. And at first I was kind of like, oh man, I was actually just kind of getting used to this and learning the different things and, you know, I'm kind of starting to enjoy it. And uh, I remembered this message about hope, that I'm not subject to the things of this world. I'm not, I don't have to just go by what I see. 
And so while everybody around me was complaining, I just started while I was working. I was doing some expanding, some rods into some coils type thing. And as I was working, I'd just be thanking God, saying, God, I thank you that there is a place here for me. That even if they have to fire everybody else, I still have a job at the end of the day. That I don't go by what my eyes see. And you know what happened? They fired everybody that got hired with me. They fired people who'd been there 15, 20 years. But you know what? At the end of the day, I was still there. And I was there until I chose not to be there. When God called me into the ministry and said, go to Oklahoma, I was like, okay. And I quit my job and went. We don't have to be subject to how the world sees things. I could have easily fell into that same mentality that everybody else did. Well, I guess we're getting fired. I guess we're getting laid off. I guess we're going to have to find a new job. And it was like, I kind of like my job. I don't want to find a new one right now. You know, that's just me as an introvert. It's like, I don't want to have to go and do interviews again. That sucked, you know? <laughs> and God knows my heart. And I could have a hope and a confidence in him that he's got me. And unless he told me it was time to go, I'm not going nowhere. Come on, we're not talking about some fantasy theory. This is something that you put into practice in your life. That you're like, no, I have a future and a hope. Why? Because that's what God told me. Because I know the plans I have for you. It's to give you a good future and a hope. And so we're talking about hope. You need to begin to see yourself walking in things long before you get there. God didn't look at what was present to determine what was possible. And so there's really no greater example of hope to look at than we started looking at last week, and that was with Abraham. And God had given Abraham a promise that he would be the father of many nations, and he had no kids. He said that he would multiply him and that his descendants would be as the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky, and he had no kids. And he even said that to God. He's like, God, I, I have no son, and the, the heir to all my household, which was a pretty big household, is some guy in Damascus. And the reason why God said your descendants would be as the sand on the seashore because he was painting a picture before him. He could see the sand as he walked through the desert. When you live in the desert, there's no other light pollution. At night, you see all the stars. God was painting a picture for him to walk in before he ever walked. And, you know, I said last week, 13 years, when we're talking about from the, to the promise being fulfilled. But when I say 13 years, that's 13 years from when Abraham finally got on board. It was 25 years from the promise. And so he, he, he had that promise that he would be great. And for the first over half that season, nothing was happening. And so you know what, why it wasn't happening? Abraham was thinking, how am I going to do this? Last time I checked, the Bible didn't ask you how you're going to do it. He said, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. You don't have to figure out the ins and outs of how it's going to happen. Your job was to believe. Come on, let's look at salvation. Salvation is the greatest example for everything you will believe. How did you work yourself to salvation? You didn't. Jesus came. He laid his life down. Yes. So that all you had to do was say, Jesus, thank you, I receive. Yeah. And so when we're talking about hope and faith, stop 
thinking about how can I do that? If you want to go back to the example that I just gave of not getting fired where everybody else did, there was nothing I could do. It's not like I could go up to my boss and beg and plead and say, don't fire me. But I, you know what I could do? I could talk to me and God. I could stir hope in myself. You can't stir hope in others. You can try and infect, it become infectious in your hope. But even if everybody else chooses, it has nothing to do with how hard you can work. It's about the God you believe. Come on. So God didn't look at what was present to determine what is possible, and so Abraham had to learn the same thing. And so over halfway into this process, from the promise that he gave that he would be great and he'd have many descendants, it was finally, he hit a point, and it says in Romans 4.18, for Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, he hoped in faith. Maybe you're in that position this morning and you feel like hope is like, I, don't, I just can't go on. I can't go another step. I can't go another moment. I feel like I just have to give up. Abraham got to that point. And instead of giving up, he said, no, I'm going to let my hope become faith. And it says he believed something about God. It says in the presence of him whom he believed, God, this is what he believed about God. God gives life to the dead and he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So Abraham believed, this is how God does it. God doesn't look and say, what's going on? This is God says, this is how it will be. And he believed that about God and started to believe that about himself. And God changed his name and put a new name in his mouth. So instead of everyone calling him Abram, 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 he changed his name to Abraham, which means you're the father of many nations. So everywhere that Abraham went, he's like, hi, I'm Abraham. I'm the father of many nations. He goes over here. He's like, hi, I'm Abraham. I'm the father of many nations. He goes over here. Hi, I'm Abraham. I'm the father of many nations for 13 years. Come on. He could have went back and started calling himself Abram again. But no, for 13 years, he kept feeding the promise. I am Abraham. I'm the father of many nations. I'm Abraham. I'm the father of many nations. I'm Abraham. I'm the father of many nations. I'm Abraham. I'm the father of many nations. And after 13 years, in an old man's body, and an old woman's body, the son of promise came. Come on. And now today his descendants are as the sand of the seashore and of the stars of the sky. They can't be numbered. And guess what? It says if you believe in Jesus, you are blessed with faithful Abraham and you are his seed. And so those great nations, they're talking about you just as much as they were talking about Isaac. They were talking about you just as much as they were talking about the tribe of Judah. He was talking about you. Come on. The promise that God gave to Abraham is still living out in you. And Abraham believed in a God who called those things which do not exist as though they did. And guess what happened at the end of that journey? They began to exist. When you believe God, things come to life that everyone else has said dead or impossible. And when you choose to believe God, great things happen. Now, I, I got to have John come here for a moment because we got to tell you a story. And normally I let Jessica do all the testimonies. Come on up, John. But I said, we need, we need this. We, we need this on camera. We need everybody that's at home uh, to, uh, to hear what's going on. You can hold on to that for a second, John. Now, about uh, so two weeks ago now, 
Two weeks ago, John called me right after church. When I got home, I was getting some stuff done. And he said, uh, Pastor, I need you to pray. Like my daughter, they rushed her to the hospital. And they've got her sedated. And he didn't have a lot of details at that time. And so we, we quickly prayed and, and spoke life. And, you know, we, we did what we knew to do in that moment. And uh, didn't look like anything was changing. No. And we called on Tuesday. We prayed again together, right? Yes. And then we talked on Thursday again. There was still, there was no change. No change on Thursday. Came here on Sunday morning, last Sunday. There was no change. And it, it appears that she had had a stroke. She had lost all her memory. Didn't know who he was. Didn't know who her mother was. Didn't know who her husband was. Didn't, didn't know anybody. And they had her under sedation. And every time they tried to bring her out of sedation, she would go into convulsions. And they just had to put her right back under. And so they couldn't even bring her up. And they were thinking, oh, maybe she's got a virus. And they, they, they couldn't really figure out what was going on. And last Sunday morning, as John was sitting after the service, and I saw Mitch and Marnie were chatting with him, and I just felt in my heart, you go and you pray the prayer of agreement together with them. And so I walked up to them and I joined into their conversation. And John had some very specific things that he was wanting, wanting God to do. And she needs to come out of that sedation. There needs to be no convulsions. There needs to be the, the memory needs to be completely back and whole. And she needs to be coming out of the hospital. And so we'd already had over a week with zero, zero, zero progress. But I said, John, we're going to agree. Because the Bible says here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, again I say that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And so I was like, John, you and I are two. Mitch and Marnie are three and four. And I said, and then you count God, we've got five, we've got Jesus six, we've got the Holy Spirit seven. We are more than two or three. And so this applies to us, and we're going to speak right now and it's going to be done. Now, we're talking about hope, right? What were, if we were to go, how most people would be, well, what did the doctors say? They don't know. They don't know. They don't know what it is. They don't know what to do. Best we can do is keep them under. That's how the world looks. But we took hands, and we said, God, John's got some specific things that we're going to agree. I'm telling you exactly how we prayed. Because I want you to know it's not some... Oh, God. Come on, the things of God are just so natural and so yes. natural to you. Yes. We said, God, John has some specific things. He needs her out of the sedation. He needs her memory completely back. If there's a virus, it needs to go right now and never come back. And she's coming out of the hospital. I think I was home after church probably about 30 minutes when John calls me. Pastor! She's awake. They can't find any virus. Her memory's completely back. It's gone. And she wants to come home now. <laughs> and so, of course, the doctors have been running test after test after test. Can't find anything wrong with her. They can't find anything. They don't know what happened. Whatever it was is gone. Why? Because if two or three agree on anything... It shall be done for them. And if you looked with natural eyes, we wouldn't have bothered praying, right? We wouldn't have prayed that prayer. We wouldn't have bothered. But you don't look with natural eyes. 
we stir up a hope. For he said he sent his word and healed us. And because of that, we agree with him instead of what everybody else says. Come on, that's a live action situation of of hope in, in progress, right? And it's easy to get moved when there was a whole week of things not changing. Come on. There was a whole week of things not changing. And John very easily could have said, Pastor, we've prayed. But no, when the Holy Spirit says, pray and pray this way, you pray that way. You walk out what he says and how he chooses. Did we get all the details? Did we get it all right, John? Yeah, we're not embellishing the story at all, right? That's exactly how it happened. Well, uh, you want to hear something even cooler? He, go, he goes there, and he meets the nurse. And, and uh, what was her name? Denitha? Something like that? Anitha. Uh, Anitha. And she, she says to him, you brought the presence of God with you. Did you come here to pray for the sick and heal the sick? And he said, yeah. And, she, he, and she's like, hallelujah. And she's like almost starting to dance right there in the ER. Because he'd been stirring himself up in the presence of God so that when he came into that situation, she's like, whew, you brought God with you. Of course I did. <laughs> of course I did. Come on. We don't have, what's that? She saw it. And that's how it is. When Moses came down out of the presence of God, people saw it radiating on his face because he'd been in the presence of God. And in those situations, you can try. The world's going to want you to lose hope. The enemy wants you to lose hope. But when you stir yourself up in the goodness and the presence of God, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Prayer always works. He broke every sickness, every chain. Yep. In the name of Jesus, it's powerful. Believe it in your heart. It works. He showed it to me. And then the next day, you know what he said to me? Now go out and heal more people. (laughs) His word is alive and powerful. He also told me that too, okay? Mm -hmm. And she's coming home tomorrow. Yep. Okay, she's she's eating, she's texting me, she's calling me. Only God could do what happened there. Only yes. God. Because yes. they didn't know what she had, okay? Yep. Yep. Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. Yep. Hallelujah. Do you have else, John? Are we good? But I wanted to share that with the message today because here it says again, say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father. If you don't have a hope that anything's going to change, you won't even bother asking. You won't bother praying. Why? You don't believe anything's going to change, so why would I bother doing it? No, when you talk and you speak to God, I like what, uh, what the Bible says. It says this is the confidence that we have in him. Hope produces confidence. So this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have what we've asked of him. That hope produces confidence on the inside of you. That's why we can't go by what we see. We don't serve the world. We don't serve the world's things. And we don't serve the world's way of looking. We have a hope in Jesus. Come on. And why do we want to talk about this verse? 
Do you know what Jesus said, literally the verse before this, if we're talking about the believer's authority? Do you know what Jesus literally said to them right before he told them, this is how you can pray? Okay, am I the only one that cares? Do you want to know what, why Jesus told them to pray this way? Because he said, assuredly I say to you, everyone say me. me. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so we're all often, so many religious people are saying, God, please do something. Please help me. And he said, no, whatever you bind will be bound. And whatever you loose, what have you bound in your life? Sickness, I bind you. And you are not allowed to have any harm to me. You're not allowed to dictate my progression. You're not allowed to dictate the direction I will go. If I want to run, I will run. Me you don't have a say in the matter come on heaven I loose your resources on my behalf that I shall suffer no lack that I will always have more than enough in every situation why because whatever you and so if you're waiting on God to do it for you he's not going to do it he told you to do it he gave you the power and the authority to do it hallelujah well, Pastor Jordan, that's just one verse, and we can't buy, build a uh, theology on one verse. That's right. It says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. So it's a good thing. Jesus also said two chapters before that, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so people are saying, oh, I guess God just doesn't love me, or I guess God doesn't exist. No, how about you go ahead and do what he told you to do, and believe what he told you to believe, and act like he told you to act, and you'll begin to see the power of God in your life. Come on, I'm not moved by my emotions, and I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved only by the word of God, and what the Holy Spirit says to me. Come on. He'll stir up a hope in your heart that you can have a confident expectation of good things to come. If you want to give up hope, so be it. You can give up hope, but I will not give up hope. I have a confident expectation of good things to come. Hallelujah. And so Abraham, he hit the place where it was like every reason, human reason for hope had faded away. So he hoped in faith. When everybody else would have given up, he said, not me. I believe in a God who calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So let's dig a little deeper into Abraham this morning. Why don't you turn in your Bibles over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 3 and in verse 8. It says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the good news or the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Think about this. God saw that he was going to justify the Gentiles by faith ahead of time. Who are the Gentiles? Those are non-Jew people. That's you. Seeing that God was going to justify you by faith, he preached to Abraham a long time ago so that you would have an example of how to live and how to walk and how to believe. For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the good news to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. 
How is it that in through Abraham all the nations shall be blessed? He didn't go to all the nations. But you can. You'll stand in places that he never stood in. You'll go places that he didn't even know existed, didn't exist when he was preached this message. And it says, so then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Think about that for a second. Those who are of faith are blessed. Say it again. Those who are of faith are not going to be blessed, Pastor Wendy. Not going to be blessed. Are present tense, standing in the blessing with Abraham. Now, did Abraham see the promise fulfilled? And you believe and are blessed with him in the same way. So if he saw it fulfilled, guess what? You'll see it fulfilled. Right, James? You'll see it fulfilled. As it goes on a few verses later, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What was his promise? What was the promise that he gave to Abraham? He said, I will make you great. I will multiply you. I will bless you. And that same blessing has been imparted to those who are of faith. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you need to change your wording. And stop saying, I'm broke, and start saying, I'm blessed. Stop saying, I'm trapped, and start saying, I'm free. Stop saying, all the doors have closed to me, and stop, start saying, I have opportunities before me. Why? Because you are blessed right now. Present tense. Blessing is not something you need. It's something you have right now. Come on, let's break this down a little bit more. The word blessing is not like, ooh, it made me feel good. Come on. The word blessing that is used here is the word empowered to prosper. When he talks about you are blessed, you've been empowered to prosper. And as soon as you say the word prosper, everybody goes, oh, don't talk about money. Ooh, don't, don't talk about money. I don't believe in that whole get rich stuff from God. Uh, well, then you can leave it on the table. I won't. But when he talks about empowered to prosper, he's not talking about money. He's talking about every area of your life. You're empowered to prosper in your emotions. You're empowered to prosper in your body. You're empowered to prosper in your business. You're empowered to prosper in your relationships. You're empowered to prosper in your business relationships. You're empowered to prosper with your children, with your parents. In every area, you've been empowered to prosper. What you touch should increase, whatever it is. Because the blessing is on you. It's not something you're trying to get. It's something he already poured out on you and it's something you already possess. If you want to walk in it, you can walk in it. But there t- it takes a mentality shift that we have to stop thinking in limitations. As we mentioned last week, and I should have put the scriptures in here so you could see it, there's a man named Jabez in the Bible that he was only mentioned once and his prayer was, God, that you would bless me indeed. And that you would expand my territory. Increase me, God. That's the only prayer that we hear him pray. It's the only thing we hear him say. And it says that God did it. He did it. 
Why? Was Jabez a good man? We don't know. All we know is he's prayed, and God said, sure, Jabez, come on. Well, maybe there's things that you're putting up with in your life that you don't have to put up with. That God is wanting you to speak that blessing into and see it empowered to prosper. Hallelujah. And it wasn't because of anything you did. Hebrews 6, 6.13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. What does that mean? It means generally when someone cuts a covenant, you have two strong people coming together saying, I bring this to the covenant, and you bring this. And God said, no, no, no. I'll bring my stuff. You keep your garbage. And he said, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. God says, surely, or truly, or absolutely, this is what I do. I'm going to bring my blessing to the table, and you leave all your stuff behind. You don't need it anymore. And it says, so after that, speaking of Abraham, he says, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. 13 years, you know, that's a long time to be patient. A better way to say it, because we really all, we hate the word patient, don't we? You know, if, you, if I ever tell my kids, be patient, that just means, oh, dad, come on, do it now. I don't want to sit here. I don't want to be quiet. I don't want to go play in my room. Can we leave and go get ice cream now? When I say patient, it generally is like, oh, I don't like that word. It's, not a, it's a filthy word for many people. Here's a better one. When he walked out the process. When he walked out the process. And we often give up right in the middle of the process. James, you've got to come sit right here. We often walk out the process. Actually, you guys move down. James, you need to sit here. Yeah, move down. James, sit right there. As we walked out the process, walked out the process, James. You're walking out the process. You got to keep marching. You can get stuck in the middle and choose, I can stay here as long as I want, and you can. But you're not supposed to stay where you are. You need to walk out the process. Keep on moving. Walk out the process. You just sit there. You sit there. Patiently endured. Oh, you, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. Comprinda basushi kima sidaba. Mama ku yabrondo chichi kilabaraba paku. Molsi sipa pahishu kina nyanya. Kibochi chikini mamasu. Pupukibara partiti ala. For doors and opportunities have been placed many before you. And, you, and some of them you have bypassed, and some of them you have ignored, and some of them you've walked through with great fervency. And so the doors of opportunity that you see in your heart are placed there by me. They are put within you to stir up that hope, to stir up that expectation, to stir up that knowing that I am good, and I am good to you all the time. No matter what you have done, it's all what I have done. Not what you have done, it's what I have done. And so observe and, and hope again, believe again that I am a good God and I'm for you. Mm-hmm. Amen. So it says, so that after he had patiently endured or he walked out the process, he obtained the promise. 
You know, getting started is sometimes the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest part of the process. But once you get moving, it's easier to get, stay moving, right? You know, when we talk about hope and we talk about faith, getting moving and getting pointed in the right direction is usually the hardest part. But once you get going, you go from faith to faith, as the Bible says. You go from glory to glory. You go from promise to promise. You go from breakthrough to breakthrough. Getting moving is often the hardest point. Saying within your heart, no, I'm not going to put up with this garbage anymore where I've been. I'm, I'm getting up and I'm walking to the promise. I'm going through. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to see it. That decision is often the hardest part. You know, the Holy Spirit just brought to remembrance something from yesterday. I took Harrison and Bennett out, and we went kayaking yesterday afternoon. It was a gorgeous day with the sun was shining. I figured, yeah, the water's a little cold, but let's get out there anyways. And as we were fighting across the wind to get across the bay, I looked up and I saw, it looked like, a, I assume it's a hawk. It was sitting off on a dock on just in the distance that we were moving towards. And it started, and it started flapping its wings. And it's, you know, giving it a good, good old swoop. You know how birds trying to take off? They, they move with force. But it got about 10 feet off the ground. And the wind was blowing nice. And it went, and it went, it stretched out its wings, and it rose. What was the hardest part of that process for that hawk? Getting started. But once he got out there, he rode those winds. He made use of the movement. Come on. I love uh, Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight in the message translation. It says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Choosing to leave the funk you've been in is the hard part. But once you step into his grace, you just begin to flow. And what used to be a hard thing to hope and used to be a hard thing to believe now becomes easy. Hallelujah. Well, we are way off track where we want, but I'm not going to apologize. How did we even get here? <laughs> well, let's jump down to verse 17. <laughs> Hallelujah. It says, thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability, that's a, that's a funky word, it just means the unchangeableness of his counsel. He confirmed it by an oath, meaning God swore. He made a promise and then he swore, saying, I've said it, I will do it, it is done, and it is unchangeable. Why? Because it's impossible for God to lie. What he speaks happens when you flow with him. And it says that by two immutable things or two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath. The promise doesn't change, and the oath that he would perform it, they don't change ever. Not back then and not now. He said that by two unchangeable things where it is impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. To lay hold of, to lay hold of, to lay hold of, meaning faith isn't just going to come and slap you, James. Hope is not just going to come by and slap you, but it is if you choose, grab hold of, grab hold of it. To lay hold of the hope. And he said, this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast an anchor for our soul hope is an anchor for our soul 
You know what our soul is? I'm going to take a second and explain this, because often when we use the word soul, because of the way religious people have interpreted over the years, we think spirit, you know, soul. When the Bible uses a soul, that's not what it's talking about. Just because we use them spirit and soul interchangeably, he said, Paul said that we are spirit, soul, and body. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's the, Hebrew, the Greek word pasihi. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so here it says hope is an anchor for your mind, your will, and your emotions. Come on. How many of us know that our, our emotions and our will and, and what we think kind of go like this? Come on. Up and down. Hope is an anchor. What does an anchor do? It holds. It holds you consistent. You drop the anchor down off the ship so that when the winds blow, the ship holds position. And so hope will hold you when things try to blow you around. When it tries to push you off course and say it's never going to happen, it's not going to happen, James, it's never going to happen, you just go, ha, 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 I have a hope in Jesus that I am anchored that what he has promised me shall come to pass. Just like all those things that you've prayed for your daughter, James, they shall come to pass. They will come to pass, James, and it's an anchor for your soul. That's right. It's got no choice. Come on, James. I don't know why the Holy Spirit's picking on you. I don't know what you've been saying to him, but uh, uh, he wants to say some things back, obviously. We have this hope as an anchor for our mind and our will and our emotions. Come on. We live in a day where there, I just was reading it yesterday. We have a pandemic of depression and anxiety. Where do they affect your mind, your will, and your emotions? And why do we have, a, have, a, have a, a pandemic of depression and anxiety? Because people are hopeless. They've given up hope. And so hope is supposed to hold you from those moments. Come on, if, if, if we, uh, we want to talk about someone who understands depression and anxiety, let's talk about King David. We often talk about him dancing before the, the Ark of the Covenant coming in, but we don't often talk about him saying, oh, please, somebody kill me. It's all pointless. I don't know. What, what am I going to do? You know? David went through some dark depressions. But you know what? He learned how to pull himself back out. And it was through hope. How do we know that? Let's go to Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42. I'm all over the place. <laughs> Psalm chapter 42. And in verse 1, it says, he starts out thinking that this is a, you know, a happy psalm. It says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. And we've actually turned it into a song that people sing. As the deer panteth for the waters, oh, my soul longeth after thee. You know, it's very nice and pleasant sounding. David wasn't speaking this as a blessing. He was think, speaking this as, God, I feel so separated from you. Why did he say, my soul longs for you? Because he's feeling like, God, you're way over there and I can't get to you. And I'm way over here and I'm stuck. He said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When he says, when shall I come and appear? Meaning that's he's feeling that separation. He's, he's not doing this. This isn't a psalm of praise. Do you know what's going on in Psalm 42? 
good time for David. <laughs> not a good time for David at all. He's been anointed king by Samuel. Well, they already got a king, and his name is Saul. Saul doesn't like that. He's going to kill him. He's actively trying. And so David is on the run for years, running from place to place. And at the time of Psalm 42, you know what we find? David has actually been helping Israel's enemies. He's been fighting with the Philistines. And then the one guy that's been partnered with him, you know, they go to hook up with the larger group of Philistines, and they see, like, why do you have David? Why do you have him here? He can't fight with us. He's going to get out in battle there, and then he's going to kill us all, turn on us, and kill us. And so the Philistines toss him out. And so he, he rides home to his village where him and his men, where they've been camping out of, and they get there, and their women, their children, and all their stuff have been taken and were driven away by the Amalekites. And on top of that, this is what happens. His men then turn to him and say, guess what, buddy? Thanks for leading us. We're going to stone you. So Psalm 42 is not, is not a psalm of victory. It's a psalm of David's depression. But do you know what David did in that moment? It doesn't tell us here, but we'll go on in a second in Psalm 42. But it tells us in the story when they talk, talked of stoning him, it says David encouraged himself. David stirred himself. Why? Nobody else is going to do it. Everybody else is going to kill him. And sometimes you find yourself in situations where it seems like, is anybody on my side? It's okay. Stir yourself. Paul had to tell Timothy that too. He said, stir up the gift of God. Stir it up. And so David stirred it up. He encouraged himself. He went after the Amalekites and he defeated them. And this is the thoughts that are going on in David's heart while it's happening. He says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? We drop down to verse 3. It says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say, where is your God? And I fully believe that this is, this is not the, the, the they that are around them. This is that mystical they that everybody talks about. They're all going to hate me, you know? They're all going to laugh at me. This is not real they. This is the thoughts of David's heart being personified. As he's bawling and squalling of the situation, he says, they continually say to me, where is your God? And when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, or I pour out my thoughts within me. They're just flowing out. And he says, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. And with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude, I kept the pilgrim feast. And he says, why are you cast down on my soul? Well, hold on a second. Why is it that he used to go? Why doesn't he go now? He can't, thanks, Coach. He can't. He's on the run. He can't go to Jerusalem. He can't go do the things that he wanted to do. He can't go do the things that he likes to do. Though he found his place of joy, his place of fulfillment, when he came to the house of God, now he feels he's separated from it. And so he says to himself, Why are you cast down, O my thoughts, O my soul, O my will, O my emotions? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for yet shall I praise him for the help or the victory of his countenance. And so David turns his voice towards himself. 
rather than letting his thoughts just pour out and say, oh, I was so happy when we used to go to the temple together. Instead of just letting all these thoughts pour out, he said, no, 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 I'm going to do some speaking. And he says, soul, shut up. Hope in God, for I'm going to praise him again. <laughs> Come on. And that's what we need to do. Come on, I, as someone who's experienced some very deep depressions in my life, where I'd preach a happy message here and go home and get under my covers and pull them over and be like, oh, it's all pointless. You know what happens when you get to those points? Your thoughts become toxic. And so what you need to do, give yourself something new to think and something new to speak. So David says, soul, shut up. Why are you doing all this crap bubbling out of me? Why are you pouring it out? Hope in God, for I will praise him again. And catch what he says, for the help or the victory of his countenance. Meaning the way he looks. I'm going to focus on how he is and not how I am. Whew. That, that, that's, that's wisdom. Because it's very easy to say, yeah, I'm short here, I'm short here, I'm short here, I'm short there, I'm short there. What's he? You already know what you are, right? You already know what you have. The question you need to ask yourself is, what is God in this? And so he says, I'm going to praise you again. I'm going to hope again, God, because I'm going to look at your face. I'm going to look how you look, your countenance. And he says, oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mirzan. What is he, what is Mirzar, what is he saying right there? He's saying, I can't go to the temple, but I can praise you right here. I, I can worship you right here in the land of Jordan. I can get up here on the hill of Mazar, and I can worship you right here. You may not have the perfect scenario. It may not be your perfect scenario of this is where I usually do it, and this is everything. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can do it right here. Come on. And that's where people begin to lose hope. They're saying, oh, it's just the, the stars aren't aligning. It's not how I need it to be. No, you've got God, and he'll boot down a door if he has to. So you praise him where you are. And he says, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All the waves and billows have gone over me. And the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the nighttime, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Come on. So David told us how he felt. My tears have been my, my food. I can't go to the temple. And then he told himself what he was going to say, what he was going to think. Have you got to the point? Have you got to the point where you've decided you're going to put a new word in your mouth? That you're going to put a new vision before your eyes? He says, I, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? That's something, something interesting for him to say. Like, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to ask him, why have you forgotten me? And the answer to the question was, he hasn't. <laughs> That's just how you feel. Feelings are subject to change. Why, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. Sorry, get it changed there. And when they say to me all day long, where is your God? And so he starts to slip back a bit here. So what does he do? He redirects again. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? 
Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for yet shall I praise him. But catch this. The last line changes the second time. The first time he directed himself, he said, God, I'm going to look upon you because you're my victory. This time, he says, the help and the victory of my countenance. So the first time, he saw victory in Jesus' face. And as he looked at Jesus' face, victory was on his. <laughs> Why? Because hope will even change the way you look. It'll change your swagger. Or for the younger people in the room, your drip. <laughs> It'll change the way you walk. It'll change the way you talk. It'll give you a confidence. It'll give you a backbone. Hope will transform the way you look. You know this is true. You know what people who are depressed and hopeless look like, right? And you know what people who are confident and hopeful look like. Why? Because they wear it on their face. And so hope is an anchor for our soul. We have a strong consolation in Jesus, but hope begins with choice. So we can stir you up in hope, but until you decide, I'm going to hope again, I'm going to believe again, you stay where you are. Because everything in, in, in our walk with God is choice. Everything begins with choice. You know, it's a choice to come to Jesus. It's a choice to stay with Jesus. Right? No one can walk you there, but you can make the decision to say, no, I believe. I, I'm fed up with where I've been. I choose to believe in Jesus. He said, if any man calls upon me, he shall be saved. It says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's a choice that you make. And James, you're walking towards a new choice. There's a choice that's going to be set before you. There's a new choice. You're walking towards that choice. And he's not going to make you do it, James. He's not going to walk you through the door. But he's giving you a choice. He's saying, give me your hand. He's saying, do we have an agreement? No, you're not agreeing with me. You're agreeing with God. Yes, yes. Do we have an agreement? So that was your oath. But he doesn't need your oath, James. He accepts your oath. But he doesn't need your oath. Because his oath was enough. His oath was enough, James. His oath was enough, James. His oath was enough. Hallelujah. The rest of y'all didn't even need to come to church today. I just needed to preach to James, right? Hallelujah. You know... And you're saying, well, Pastor Jordan, why don't you come and preach directly to me and pray for me and prophesy? Put a, put a demand on the Holy Spirit, and I will. You know, 
when I was young, I got to watch my parents walk out all these things that we're talking about. And we used to travel wherever we could get, you know, just to get under a good message, a hopeful message. And before we would go in, we'd pray, we'd say, God, we place a demand on the Holy Spirit. We believe that you have exactly what we want and what we need. You're going to encourage us. You're going to strengthen us. And it didn't matter wherever we sat in the building, in the conference center, wherever. They would, someone would find us and we'd end up in the front row. And we'd walk over and, and the minister would just be preaching right to Pastor Robin and telling him exactly what he needed to be doing. And they didn't know us, but the Holy Spirit did. And they would grab him by the, by the coat and they would drag him around. And they'd preach to him. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's get up on our feet. Hallelujah. I will praise you again, yes I will, I will shout from this mountain top, yes I will climb up the hill again, I will praise you again Lord, oh yes from this place I will declare your goodness. I will declare that you are great and greatly to be praised. I will hope in you again, oh Jesus, yeah. Oh, I will magnify you, Lord. Yes, Lord. I will hope in you again. Yes, Jesus. Well, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for this time this morning. We thank you for your words. We thank you that they are life and they are health to all our flesh. We thank you that you have placed a choice before us. You've given us a choice to hope. You've given us a choice to believe. You've given us a choice to accept Jesus. I thank you, Father, that this day is a day of choice for many of us in here. It's a day of choice for many of us in here. Hallelujah. And I choose to believe you again. I believe your word is true. You always come through. You never fail. Yes, you never fail. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well... In our moment, our care team is going to be up here at the front, and they would love to pray with you. They would love to believe with you. They would love to celebrate with you. They would love to whatever it is you need to pray about, whether you want to come and give your life to Jesus, they would love to pray with you. If you want to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, they'd love to believe with you. If you need healing in your body, they'd love to believe with you. If you need breakthrough in your finances, they would love to believe with you. Whatever it is you need, if you want, make that choice and come and talk with them, pray with them. No one can make that choice for you. Hallelujah. If you'd like to give this morning, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give. Um, envelopes are in the seat, baskets at the back, whatever you choose to do. We just thank you for your faithfulness in all. We, we couldn't do this without you. We're a team together, right? Hallelujah. James, <laughs> you're a team with God.
doesn't need, yeah, he doesn't need your oath, but he'll walk with you. Hallelujah. Well, you are blessed. Yeah, I was like, I have no idea what you say. There's food. Let's celebrate mothers. Let's have some coffee and some good conversation. Have a great week, guys.